What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray, and we're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about finance, and of course, we're talking about business. It's a Black Man Sunday. Time to put all childish things away. I refuse to be the man I was yesterday. Gotta put my best foot forward and elevate. And joining us today on Black Men Sundays, we have Dr. Herbert Harris. This brother wrote the 12 Universal Laws of Success, Super Achiever Edition, and How to Make Money in Music. This brother is a Columbia University graduate. He's a retired attorney. This brother even worked at Time Magazine. And this brother is the co-founder of the Life Skill Institute Incorporated. So without further ado, Dr. Herbert Harris, welcome to Black Men Sundays, brother. How you doing? I'm doing great, Corey. Thanks for having us. Oh, definitely. So let's go on and get started. You know, one thing when I did some research on you, I kept coming up with the topic of principles of wealth building. Our show is about creating generational wealth. So what tips can you give us? Well, I think one of the key things about generational wealth is to figure out your ground zero. See, many people want to talk about creating generational wealth, but until you have ground zero and ground zero is that amount of money and resources necessary to maintain you at your ground level. So that's what you need to pay your rent or pay your mortgage, what you need to cover your light bills, gas bills, medical expenses, etc. And so once you solve ground zero, then to really grow ground zero into uh, wealth, into fortune, into companies, whatever. But that's number one, grow ground zero. In our book, we call it solving the riddle of survival. Because until you solve the riddle of survival and establish your ground zero and how to handle it, you're always going to be coming back. You're always coming back. You you start out and it's like you open a restaurant, you put all your money in there, and the grand opening weekend, it rains for eight days. <laughs> so not, So nobody shows up. The food has spoiled. You're out of luck. You're out of business. And so establish your ground zero. And then in our book, in the 12 Universal Laws of Success, under the law of value, we talk about the four principles of wealth building. The earning principle, that earn as much as you can, because wealth is going to essentially be about transference and creation of money and bringing it to you. So the earning principle, which says build your value so that when you exchange your value, you can exchange it at the highest level. Then the second is the spending principle. And number one, I don't even like that principle, but I'd rather call it the circulating principle. Because when you spend it, the, the implication is that it's gone forever. But the circulation principle, where you literally are able to circulate whatever you spend is circulating. So when you spend money for your mortgage, you're it's circulating it because you're increasing value. When you spend money for your car, you're circulating it. And so the spending principle, spend prudently and intelligently. And then the saving principle is to the difference between your earnings and your spending is your saving. So make saving a true objective, because as long as you can save money, someone, someone once said, I can't afford to save because I'm broke. If you're broke, you, cannot, you can't afford not to save because otherwise you will stay broke. Okay. And then the fourth principle is the investment principle. That once you have saved some money and set aside enough to carry yourself for three to six months, some people say up to a year, then look around now investing to create money and whatnot for your future and for the next generation. We're going to keep it real. This is Black Men Sundays. This is like talking to the brothers at the barbershop. So I feel like the issue that I have and a lot of brothers have is that spending and that saving is a challenge because I'll go I'll go basically all summer save really well. But then the holidays come up and then I start spending. And then, you know, eh, you know what, let's let's have, let's let her have a really nice Christmas. Let's use a little bit of that savings. And, you know, so I feel like when we're talking about the saving and the spending method, what techniques or what ways can we increase or improve that way we're saving and not touching the money that we're supposed to be saving? Well, you know, the key is to have a budget. And if you don't have a budget, then you'll, you're all over the place. 
when you have a budget, then you can make an intelligent decision. You can look at the Christmas holidays and you can say, now, if I I allocated this amount, if I have a budget and I allocate $1,000 then I've pre-planned it and it's okay, it does not impact my savings and my investing because I put then this down now as an expense, <laughs> okay? But if I don't, if I'm not intelligent about it and I see this, oh, they're having a sale. So they have a sale to have you buy two, two of something you didn't need in the first place <laughs> just because it's on sale. And so a budget gives you a framework to have discipline. It's virtually impossible to create wealth without discipline. And so, and discipline doesn't matter whether it's discipline with a dollar, a hundred, a thousand, or a million. I have friends that are high level broke. I said, man, you make a quarter of a million a year. He said, yeah, but I spend 300,000. Okay. So you have high level broke. So it's not the amount of money that to the brother in the barber shop, you know, it's like set aside the, that portion and you stick with it. One of the beautiful things about the brother in the barber shop is he's an entrepreneur. So if he want to increase his income, you know, Corey, I, I just did a talk about using the principles in our goal setting portion of the book. And we were saying how to set a goal for a year. So the person's goal was to buy a house in three years. And the question was, well, how much do you need? She said, I need another $15,000 to put down. So, okay. And so how can I get that 15,000? So three years you need, that's like $5,000 a year to save. So now let's take that first month, break it down. First, the first year has 12 months, break it down. That's $400 a month or so. So now take the first month, break it down. That's $400. Let's break it down into four weeks. That's $100 a week. Five days a week, let's break that now. $20. So now having $5,000 essentially, $4,800 at the end of this year, comes down to one more haircut, <laughs> $20. Say, okay, if I'm making $150 a day, let me just stay up and get that one last haircut. And let me take that $20 and let me put it over here in the envelope. And so that type of thing, when you can break it down like that, they said a dream is built in steps. And so when you can take a big dream and break it down to what you need to do today, then all you have to do is get it done today and the dream is taken care of. Wow, great information. And before we um, jump on the business side of things, you know, I st I'm still um, for brothers that are, you know, sometimes a family member may need some money. You might get in a jam. You might get a little behind on your AT&T bill or something. And, you know, that bill seven, eight hundred dollars. You're like, whoa, I'm only used to paying two or three. Now you're in a little jam. Uh -huh. So for brothers that are trying to build generational wealth, but over time, we're seeing that we're getting in jams. How can we get out of the jam to be able to save? Well, number one, I have a, a philosophy about other people's emergencies. And <laughs> I give you twice. You know, you come to me, man, my light's going to be cut off. And, uh, you know, me and my family, I'll help you. You come to me again, my light's going to be cut off me and my family. Now, at this point, we really want to have a conversation. And based on the conversation now, I'm going to tell you like it is. I'm like, hey, man, we ain't going down this route again. Let's look at what you're doing. If your lights are being cut off twice in the last six months, then there's something that you're not doing. Maybe you're not making enough money. Okay. All right. Well, then let me help you there. I know somebody who's hiring. I'm going to try to give you a solution. When you bring me a problem, you may come looking for money but I'm going to try to give you a solution based on my knowledge and what I would do. And so that's the two. Now, if I give it to you that second time and you come back a third time, banks closed. And that's, that's my feeling about it. And uh, I've gone, I, I have gone uh, beyond that a couple of times, but when I did, the person had such a compelling story, <laughs> you know, the car, the car accident had an accident, the money, it's jammed up my, you know, I mean, you name one of those stellar stories. I can say, okay, but this, I can see this was not your fault. I can see you in this situation, but when it's, when it's because he didn't pay his bill because he spent the money chilling, 
I said, how much you, you still smoking? Yeah. How many packs you smoke a day? Two. And what the cost of cigarettes now? Almost $10 a pack. And you can't pay your light bill. $10 a day in cigarettes. That's $300 a month. How much is your light bill? Okay. So that's kind of where I come from on that. Definitely. Okay. And let's uh, transition a little bit to there's brothers that are saying, you know, with the price of homes, with inflation, you know, people are paying 7%. A lot of brothers are saying, I feel more comfortable renting than home ownership now, where five years ago, six years ago, I felt like it was a wave of brothers. Oh, stop renting, stop renting. You need to buy a home, you know, get some equity. But now I feel like because of the inflation and the high rates, so my question to you is, is it a good time? Is now a good time for brothers to buy a home, even though you're going to pay at least 7%? Yes. And the reason is this. I've seen it happening all around. You can't control your monthly rent. If you're leasing, you're leasing at the mercy of somebody else. And what I have seen now, I'm in a neighborhood where the property values have gone up 300% in the last 10 years. Okay. So I'm in my studio right now. I bought this studio in uh, 2001 for $60,000, okay? It was just appraised at 300, okay? So now, what happened? What's happening is corporations are buying up the houses. I look around my block. Now, this used to be the hood, <laughs> okay? This was a middle-class neighborhood where you're your black lawyers and doctors and teachers lived when I was a child. Now, as white as black people sell or their kids don't want the properties, the property value has gone up. With the people who are buying the houses are corporations. When I see a sign, Berkshire Hathaway is owned by these owning these houses, then what I have seen with my own eyes is the same houses that used to rent for six hundred and seven hundred a month, the brothers now paying twenty. 500 a month and they will only give him a one-year lease and tried to get out of that and so if you're renting you're at the mercy of the landlord now if your landlord's your uncle somebody who loves you you might be okay but if your landlord's on the on, on the commercial market the lady across the street the fella she's been a tenant for 20 years she pays about 800 a month the guy offered to sell her the house for 150,000. she said i don't want this old raggedy house Guy bought it right out from under her, and the guy sent her a notice that as of June 1st, her rent's going to double, and he's only going to live a one-year lease. So that's why right now, it may be a strain to buy, but it's in this rental market, you have no control. If it if it's doubles up next year, two years from now, it can triple. So you have no control over the rent will be as high as the market will bear. And with this influx of people from the north coming south, I look around down here near the river. They have just built 2,500 houses in the last seven years. And the prices are from the high, the low, the low 300s to the high 400s. So now if, they, if that's what they're selling the house, can you imagine if Berkshire Hathaway, if they're buying some of those houses, how much the rent's going to be? So you figure whatever the mortgage on a piece of property is going to be, they're going to always rent it for more than the mortgage. They're never, you're never going to have a property where you pay less rent than the landlord's paying mortgage. And when they can go pick it up anywhere they want to go, you're at their mercy. So it may be tough. It may be a, it may be a, str a struggle. But I'd rather be foreclosed on than evicted. Because in either case, you're going, you're going to lose the property. But you, it takes you a whole lot longer to foreclose. That's why I tell my folks, when they foreclose on you, it's interesting. When you have a foreclosure and you don't have money, you know you can go into bankruptcy court and stop the foreclosure, right? Yeah. But you go down to the landlord and tenant court. <laughs> okay, there's no foreclosure. Uh, the only question is, did you pay your rent? So right now, my advice is this. You better buy something quick because it's only going to get worse. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, when I look at history, you know, um, five years ago, the rates were low and the prices were, I would say average, but then when 20 years ago, the rates were high, but the prices were low. 
Now we're looking at the rates are high and the prices are super high. So because some brothers are asking me, listen, if this house five years ago was only worth 200,000, why should I pay four to 500,000 now to buy it? Because what if the market crashes or what if it, the rate doesn't, or what if it comes down now, I don't pay high for it. Cause they always say, you know, buy low, sell high, but uh -huh. with the real estate, if you're buying high, Obviously, you don't know where the ceiling is, but what advice would you give for the brothers that are on edge about that? Well, I, like I said, the rent is always going to be more than the mortgage. And and that always, that you will never rent a property where the landlord is charging you less than the mortgage is being paid. And so even though the rent, the mortgage rates right now, you may take a, uh, you may take a strategic move and see if you can get a variable rate mortgage so that after five years, it readjusts in a term, you know, based on the standard of living, the, the government rate, that may be a way to handle it, okay? Um, based on the reason that the mortgage rates are so high is was to slow down, two reasons the mortgage rates rent high, was to slow down the buying and because of the Federal Reserve, the issues with the economy. And so sooner or later, those mortgage rates are going to come down. That's absolutely true. And so if you can get a variable rate mortgage, fine. Otherwise, if you can't, you buy the house. When the mortgage rates come down, refinance. You know, you keep your mortgage current, keep your credit up. You can turn around and refinance. Even if the house, the house may have decreased in value. Generally, in the market, real estate never goes down in value. It may not go up, but it does not generally go down in value. So... You hang in there for two years, three years, you'll have created a little bit of equity. But in any event, as long as you keep your credit up and whatnot, you should be able to refinance. Definitely. And I might ruffle some feathers with this next question, but I feel like in the black community, um, you know, because we talk about generational wealth heavy on this show, um, family members will leave property, grandmothers, grandfathers leave a property to the grandkids and all the way down the line. But it seems like as soon as the family sees, oh, grandma only paid 60000 for this house. This house is worth 300000 now. Let's sell it. I feel like families are selling. So you're basically just cashing out the generational wealth that was built for you. Yeah. So what advice would you have for brothers and sisters where you inherit a nice piece of property, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know what? It'll it'll probably be less of a hassle if we just sell it versus having to call four or five aunts, uncles, cousins to make a decision on the property. So what what advice would you give for that? Because we do talk about generational wealth. Yeah. And that's one of the saddest things, because I see in my area, this was a predominantly black area and not a single black person has bought a house in this area in the last four or five years. And most of the property has been sold undervalued because the heirs couldn't get together. And, you know, a lot of the jurisdictions are doing now. See, they used to, there was a time you couldn't get around air property. You'll find that the state legislatures are slowly evolving a new paradigm where if you can get one or two of the heirs, they can force them to petition and sell the property. And see, so you couldn't do that before because basically heirs were looked at pretty much as equal or joint tenants with equal rights. So it, my recommendation to them is to sit down and talk to one another because if you cannot agree, then you're going to lose. And it, you may get the money, but you're going to lose. Think about the idea of a homestead. You know, I've had people say, well, you know what? This house is on the property and uh, this, that, and the other. I tell them, you know, if the house is in that bad of shape, tear it down, and build a fence around your property. And that, that land itself is just like money in the bank, okay? Because uh, I know I've owned the property, and tenants are a pain in the butt. Um, you know, there are a whole lot of issues. But in the final analysis, if you look at land, real property, as a vehicle for generational wealth, then if you all could all get together and say, look, we don't want the city finding us because the cities are against you. These municipalities are trying to take your stuff. All of a sudden, code enforcement. This lady was just on TV. They slapped a $100 a day fine on her, and she was somewhere and didn't even know it. $100 a day, that's $36,000 in a year. 
the thing has gone up now. Um, but she has fines of uh, what fifteen thousand some, and now with the fines there, she's scared to death. <laughs> and they're gonna do some type of voluntary petition and be able to t to sell the land, even though the other heirs are not agreeable to it. So it's a mindset. Our people, black people, need to stop thinking about lunch money and think about growing the food. And until they have that mindset. It's going to keep happening because land, they, they, they have not made any more land in the last million years. <laughs> okay, not in America. Hawaii, they're still making land from the volcano. But my, my advice to them is to try to sit down and talk to each other because if you cannot agree, sooner or later, everybody's going to lose. Okay, yeah, I just I just had to ask you that. You know, you're an yeah. older brother, too, and you're retired. And that leads to my next question. Well, I'm about to ruffle some feathers today. I'm, I apologize tomorrow. So so I, a lot of times I'll go to people's homes. It'll be grandma's retired. She'll have her daughter. Her daughter will have her kids. Her husband will have her kids. They're all moved in. And because I work for the news, so we're going in for different stories, roof issues, mm -hmm. leaks, you know, but... I'm seeing, you know, it's 1130 on a Tuesday and the house is packed. And I'm like, wow, no one's at work. But my question for you is when we talk to a lot of people, they're basically saying that their retirement and you're retired. So that's why I'm asking you this question. They're mm -hmm. saying I'm retired. I set my retirement up for when I retired, how me and my husband or me will be able to live for the rest of our lives. So they've set it up through their 401k, through their pensions. Mm -hmm. Um, whether they invested, yada, yada. But now, because of the kids, the grandkids, and everybody's moving back in, um, I'm hearing financial advisors, I'm hearing accountants saying that for the next generation and for the current generation, they're going to have to add more money to be able to take care of the, the kids. So what's your advice to that? Because, I mean, I feel like that's definitely generational. Yeah, yeah. And it's sad because the kids are moving back and not bringing anything other than another mouth to feed. <laughs> you know, they say all they're bringing is a hearty appetite. And so the same money is coming in through their retirement. I mean, I tell you, Corey, I have seen situations where the young people coming in literally terrorize the parents, terrorize them, take their checks. And I mean, it, it, it's sad. And the, and the, young, the older people are afraid. Many of them are afraid of them. And so my feeling on that is you got to have, you can't be totally hard, but you have to give people a time limit because if you don't, then it's going to be a problem because, when, like I said, the numbers just don't add up. You bring in two, three kids, and unless you all work together, now there are instances where they come in and say, okay, look, we got this here. I'm working, the grandson's working, the mother, now the, 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 the daughter and her baby are living in the basement, but she's working. The, the grandson got a little job, he's working. Uh, the other sister, she's working. Then you say, well, look, let's get together. Let's build a bigger house. <laughs> okay, let's, let's, let's pool our resources. But as long as it's a drain on the people who are retired, I don't think it's fair to them. And the one thing that happens is when they die, if the people have not been able to support it, when they die, they're going to lose it anyway. I've seen that happen so many times. All the families up in there living, when they die, they, they bury them, and then they can't pay the mortgage. I've even seen situations where the parents get a reverse mortgage to help the kids. The house was doggone paid for. They get a reverse mortgage to help the kids. Next thing you know, they die. The kids can't even get financing to pay off the reverse mortgage and they lose the house. I've seen so many family homesteads that that was so important when I was a kid. The homestead was always safe. They always had the homestead, you know. It may not be the uh, the palace on the on the hill, but it was a safe place. It was paid for or at least it it worked. And when that's not happening, some of the older like I have sons and daughters, and I've, in times, have had to take hard lines. Say, look, this is not going to happen. You can stay here for a certain amount of time, 
but you got to get a job and you got to roll. Because if you don't require that, it's funny. This mindset, many young people, is like, you know, like one lady, her son said, he took this uh, bodybuilding personal training course, you know, the one that you hear on the radio, you can make $75 an hour and all that. So he went to the gym, got a job. In three months, he said they didn't give him a raise. He quit. Now, only reason he could quit is because he moved back to Mama's house, staying in Mama's basement. So uh, I don't think we're doing our kids a service to let them do that to us because if they can't maintain it while we're alive, they're going to surely lose it when we die. Point well said. I'm, I'm glad I took it there because, you know, when I talk to a lot of brothers, um, you know, a lot of brothers have fears. They have fears of, I have these great ideas, but I'm afraid to spend this money and start a business because if it backfires, now I'm going to be in the hole. So what advice would you give for brothers that may have these great business ideas or sisters as well that have these business ideas or they're thinking about buying a home, but just the fear sets in and they just stay in the comfort zone of what you're doing? There are three ways to create wealth. A job, wages, that creates wealth over time. An inheritance, if you're lucky. <laughs> okay, if your people had something, an inheritance can be a big push or owning a business. And if you didn't get an inheritance, a job is only as secure as the people you work for. One day they can come in and they, and in this market now with this AI, there are gonna be a lot of jobs, especially jobs that are repetitive type jobs. You look at going to the grocery store now, how many checkout lines do you see? Now the grocery stores are taking a beating because man, like, they're stealing food left and right out of there. You know, that automatic checkout line. They still haven't figured it all out yet. Believe me, they're going to have their security up so tight that uh, you ain't going to be able to do that. So the jobs are disappearing. And so unless you have a unique skill, some value you can bring to a job or a job that's really secure, you can't really count on long-term employment anymore. So many of us are actually being driven to become an entrepreneur. When you look at the long-term financial piece to become an entrepreneur, you can't will a job. <laughs> you, you can't give it to your kids. And so many of us are going to be driven towards entrepreneurship. And I think that's, that's something we really need to look at. And I'm an entrepreneur. Something you really need to look at from a very objective point of view. Get some education. You know, go to school. Take some classes. Learn business. Don't go out there. You know, I've, it, it always amazed me a, people, a person opening a store, a, a restaurant, for example. Say, well, have you ever worked in a restaurant before? Well, no. I'm a cook. I've been cooking and selling dinners out of my house for the last five years. They, got, they had a, a Hardee's up the street. I'm going to rent that and I'm going to open a restaurant. They didn't know anything about running a cooking. It's different from running a restaurant. So... If you're going to do something, learn the skill set for that particular business. Maybe it's a franchise where you don't have to be creative. You just figure out how to do it. I separate that from home ownership. If you're deciding to buy a home, that can be your greatest asset. And so you can negotiate and work with that, knowing, looking at it in the long-term basis. Because every month you pay that mortgage, you're creating more equity on the loan. And then the market, over the next 20 years, the market is going to go up. I don't care who's in power. I don't care what's going on. Your property is going to be worth more 20 years from now than it, than it is right now. One of these major families here had land going back to the Revolutionary War. When I was a kid, it was just woods. Well, now development has happened. They sold those woods for $70 million. Okay. They gave it like ten million to the house, ten million, and so that land is like money in the bank, and so that's why I separate the two. If you got a possibility to own your house, do it, but you need to be looking towards entrepreneurship. You can work the two together. I mean, I don't recommend hawking your house to run a business, okay? But if it got down to that, at least you have that asset available. You can't hawk a rent. <laughs> you can't hawk a lease. Well, you probably could, but it's, you know, the, the office might, the rental office not going to know about it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and you better get somebody <laughs> looks like you because they be on it. They, you know, most of these places not want you out of there because they can raise the rents. Oh yeah, I know. I'm in Orlando, Florida. I mean, the rent's ridiculous here. You know, so um, let's before I let you go, man. You're the co-founder of the Life Skill Institute. Talk to talk to us a little bit about that. Well, the Life Skill Institute. Our goal, our basic premise is that living is a skill, and that. Most of the problems we have is because we did not learn the skills of living. And so the Life Skill Institute is uh, based on the living is a skill concept. Most of our teachings are based on our book, The 12 Universal Laws of Success. And we have courses and workshops. And the idea is to teach people, number one, how to think in the sense that their thoughts are blueprints for their reality. And so if you have negative thoughts, limitation thoughts, that creates negative and limitation potential to look at your self-image because how you see yourself determines how the world interacts with you. We even teach people how to dress and how to walk and how to shake hands because once you begin to move in the business arena, you know, I, I see a lot of, I met a young man the other day and uh, I mean, you know, there are different kind of hairstyles and everybody has the right to wear their hair the, the way they wear their hair the way they want to. And he's really concerned because brilliant young man in a position to make some upward mobility and he's been passed over a few times. Now there's legislation against that. You know, you can't, you know, like punish a person for their hairstyle, okay? But a reality is nobody's gonna tell you that, but your appearance is critical. You know, I, I, I always travel suited and booted. I said, why do you do that? Because I get treated differently, you know? When, when, I, when I come off a plane suited and booted, the pilot walks up and he says, he apologizes that the plane couldn't take off late. And he tells them to work out, you know, like be sure that they get a voucher. If I'd had a jogging suit, I doubt that I'd have gotten that treatment. They always walk up to me and think I'm a, it's interesting, uh, Corey. I always travel suited and booted. And so, and it doesn't matter. First class, doesn't matter. How I always travel suited and booted. I always want a corner seat. People always walk up when I go in the airlines and I'm traveling. People always say, wow, sir, are you a minister? Now, if you see a white man in a suit and a tie, where are you going to ask him? Are you the CEO? You must be the president of the company, right? Or what business are you in? <laughs> and so that's the mindset of the country. They see a black man in a suit. He's a preacher. But that's okay. Teach you differently. So in the Life Skill Institute, we teach that. We go through our, the 12 universal laws of success, uh, the law of thought to control your thinking, the law of change, that anybody who's in a situation right now, and this is especially important because people are going to, changes are going to be happening in the marketplace now, in the job arena. There's a reason why we have stuff going on. We, there's a labor shortage. And, you know, for people of color, believe me, Unless you take a different paradigm and really start, a lot of the jobs that you used to have are going to be going to other people. Then the, the idea of vision, we teach that you have to have a vision for your life. Whatever you want to be, do and have. The Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. So you have to have a vision for your life. So we help people do that. We do exercises to help them um, do get an idea of where they want to go. And we do with other laws, uh, the law of command, what you say about yourself is critical. The law of uh, action, to teach people how to take their goals and break them down into steps and then follow those steps, especially financial. Financial goals are the easiest to plan because it's all dollars and cents. You know you made it or you didn't when you look at the bank account. We talk about, uh, we really get into the law of value to teach people about budgeting, time management, uh, relationships. We talk a lot about what we call the law of abundance and, pers and persistence. Number one, that there's always enough, that anything you want is there. You may not be able to see it at a particular time, but you already have everything you need to get everything you want. And then the law of persistence to hang in there. It doesn't happen overnight. You have to keep working. You have to keep doing, you have to hang in there because otherwise it may not happen. So, you know, you did mention the artificial intelligence, um, especially, you know, in the repetitive job. So for brothers out there that are, and sisters that are thinking, okay, well, 
I'm in one of those industries where it may be a warehouse, a factory or something. So outside of real estate, what other avenues can brothers and sisters go down where the AI isn't going to put them out of a job outside of creating their own job as an entrepreneur? Well, some of the job areas, you know, to really look at like this whole gym thing, personal training, uh, dietary, in in other words, industries that deal with how people want to look, how people want to feel, how people want to dress, okay? Because they are very subjective. You know, I don't care. There's not a program yet that can get one muscle on your body. <laughs> okay. It may yell at you like that Peloton, you know, but still, those are areas, personal areas. A big area right now, a huge area, is going to be health. Like we have over 10,000 people, I think, every week turn 65. And you see constantly necessity nurses, CNA. Uh, I would tell, I wish there was an initiative to get black young people into the nursing arena. There's such a shortage of nurses. I mean, they've been importing nurses from Bangladesh and other countries for the last 15 years. Now, I think a part of it was because the whole healthcare system is profit motivated. And so in order to keep wages down, they've been importing foreign nurses who would work for less at the time. And so I'd say going to healthcare, there's, I mean, thousands of shortage in nursing. Now, that means you got to go to nursing school. That means you got to go to college. You got to go at least a, a two-year college, but to look into nursing programs. Like they're paying now. The nursing shortage is so drastic. They have what they call traveling nurses, and they come for 90 days. They give them a $2,500 a month housing allowance. They give them a $1,200 a month food, uh, food allowance, and they pay them about $2,500 a week, okay? And so I would look at areas where they're shortage. So healthcare, anything you can deal with in healthcare, nursing. I'll tell you something. I'm going to ask you a question. When's the last time you saw a black EMS driver, a EMS worker? Well, keep in mind, I work for the news, so I, I see a few. A few? Yes. Very few. Okay. Very few EMS. That's the area I'd go into because that's going to be big. Those EMS workers, man, because that's good money. It's, it doesn't take a lot of, you know, skill, but EMS is an area. So healthcare EMS. And then think from an entrepreneurial point of view. Uh, like just like you have all these uh, home care attendants now. Well, why don't you set up a home care agency? The market is so strong right now that you can get your girlfriends, those who are working for somebody else, and say, look, they're charging $25 an hour for you, and they're paying you $8.50. Okay, let me pay you $12.50. <laughs> okay? I, I saw a lady, she had a whole group of home attendants, and now, this is something with your generational wealth. She had over 120-some home attendants working. She had put up an agency. And then she died, and nobody took it over. So not just to have businesses, but have a, a, a succession program to groom. I wish my sons would want to do something that I want to do, but they don't. And, and you know, I'm talking to others, but I have not successfully done it. <laughs> okay. I have not brought my sons into my business and made them, uh, you know, a part of the business. So I know that's hard, but uh, as far as going forward, those are the type of things. And so when you get an area where there's a demand to, to, for, for, for black folks to start looking beyond a job to the business, many times, you can create an entrepreneurship, a business relationship with the people you used to work for. So, uh, you know, those are the kind of things. And the Life Skill Institute, I, you know, I just wish we had more people. You know, we have, uh, we're doing some train the trainer, but get more people because I want to teach them a lot of that. The, the value of having lived a long time is, you know, to learn a lot. <laughs> and both sides, to learn what to do <laughs> and what not to do. You know, we literally fail our way to success. But those some of my advice. Healthcare, healthcare um, in all aspects, EMS working, all aspects, 
And then the, you know, the IT, the computer area. I mean, it's so hard to get a computer fixed now. You know, you take your thing to the geek squad and they always tell you, oh, just go buy another one. <laughs> okay. But there are places that can fix them, you know. I didn't want to buy another one. They changed a lot. So uh, that's another area, IT. And that's one that doesn't take a lot of time. You know, like, if you want to be a doctor, there's no way to short circuit that. You know, there's no quick course in surgery. You know, surgery in 90 days or less. But there are a lot of attendant, you know, positions that you could be focused on. I wish that our social organizations like the NAACP, the Urban League, I wish that they spread their wings a little bigger to to advocate. Because a lot of our young people just don't know what we this conversation we're having right now. They just don't know. And so... The Life Skill Institute, as much as we can do to help that, we're there. Definitely. And that's why I created this podcast, Black Men Sundays. I was targeting Black men, sisters listening as well, because a lot of the information we didn't know, a lot of the information I didn't know, and I'm not sitting here like I'm an expert. I have you experts on every week, and then I take the nuggets and add it to my life. So that's the beauty of Black Men Sundays. And speaking of Black Men Sundays, Dr. Herbert Harris, did you enjoy your time on the show? Man, let me tell you, I enjoy talking to smart people. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish that, that we had more dialogue like this, where people come together on shows, on podcasts, but even the old salon society, you know, something that's missing now, part of the Black experience. Madam C.J. Walker had a beautiful brownstone, really, I think she had two of them put together, but on certain days she had the salons where People would come together and discuss ideas. The last time I saw James Baldwin was in a, a in in New York at the a place called uh, Wells. It was a part of Harlem where you had the uh, the uh, black jazz clubs. Like Count Basie's was was right on the corner. So James Baldwin, uh, Calvin Lockhart, <laughs> okay, uh, some of the other local. Uh, to let Dr. Ben, Dr. Ben Yohanan, all there talking. Baldwin was smoking his cigarette and talking that talk. But it was a whole different conversation. He was talking to the brothers, you know, and the sisters. And so I missed that. We, I, you know, one of the things that here in Wilmington, North Carolina, I was telling my, my old lady, I said, Bonnie, you know what we need to do? I said, I want to maybe do fix up the studio and at least once a Sunday to have people come over and talk, you know, and artists, not just get into like singing and playing, and, but where we have serious discussion, ideas, because that was, that was the, 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 the environment in which the NAACP grew out of. Think about 1909, W.B. Du Bois, the, 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 the intellects of the era. And I, I would love to see that happening again, because believe me, the other side has think tanks, on top of think tanks. When we look at the, the political agenda, when we look at the economics, all of this is by program. We, we truly live in the matrix. It's just that we, many of us don't know it. Okay? But all of this stuff is programmed and there have been these think tanks there, like conservative think tanks. You look around, there's one every so often, every quarter or so. People you know, promoting a certain ideal and other people have to do that. So. What you're doing is critical, man, and, 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 I, and I take my hat off to you. Definitely. And before I let you go, like I said, you're the author of the 12 Universal Laws of Success, the Super Achiever Edition, you know, because we super achievers. How can we get this book, Dr. Harris? Well, it's, of course, available on Amazon. It's a big seller on Amazon. We also on our website, HerbertHarris.com. You can get it there and... Uh, uh, we have some of our other products, uh, but HerbertHarris.com, Amazon. And then we have a special site, 12ULS.com, the number 12ULS.com. And that way it comes directly to me and I autograph it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's so, what I'm, I'm going to yeah. need, that autograph copy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are the ones that we can get. One of the things that we've been really promoting, Corey, is um, we call it a success toolbox. And what we wanted to do, so many people are right now, I know that you're my, are like wondering what's next. 
<laughs> you know, like, how do I go forward? How do I negotiate all this stuff going on? And the success toolbox is on our website, herbertharris.com. But one of the goals there was to, to give them in one place the 12 Universal Laws of Success, the ebook, the audio book, over seven hours of recorded information. Because so many of our young people learn by hearing, you know, so they have the audio book. But then we have a class, a home study course called The New You. And it's designed to take a person, say, uh, part one is to do uh, assess your situation. If if life is a GPS, you got to have a, two coordinates, where you are and where you want to go. And so that part one is to assess your situation because a lot of people have to know where they are. Be honest with yourself because the world's going to deal with you. Then part two is to address the things you need to fix. If you need to increase your skill level, like right now you're talking about going forward with the jobs, just based on what we said, okay, say now, let me look into this nursing thing. Let me look into this EMS thing. Now set some new, to lay out some changes that you got to make in your life. Then part three is to set new goals. I want to go to EMS. I want to become a nurse. And now lay out a plan to do that. And then part four gives you an executing plan, an executable plan. And we have some motivational audios there also to help you. But the idea was we wanted to give a person in one place everything they needed to get anything they want. And so that's our main goal right now, to get the success toolbox into the hands of one million people. Because we know that if we can transform a million, we can change the world. Mm, that's what I'm talking about. And also, I noticed your Instagram. That's how I met met you on Instagram. Your Instagram's pretty lit, man. So, you <laughs> know, for the brothers, especially me, you know, I haven't really been on Instagram with the Black Men Sundays that long. I normally have my personal Instagram where I'm just, you know, t taking food pictures, pictures of uh -huh. my outfits. Because, you know, I, I be dressed too, you know what I mean? But yeah. for just explain to us the importance of because I feel like these days social media is the way of life it's the way to promote yourselves it's the way to get personal and I noticed with your uh Instagram you have videos you have live sessions I think I joined you at eight o'clock in the morning and you know you, you kind of you kind of had me because like it was a day I had like a lot going on so I was a little yeah. tense you had uh -huh. me breathing and I was like okay I'm ready to go now you know so yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm just saying, yeah. like, just just talk about as a from a business point of view or from an entrepreneurship point of view, the importance of uh, Instagram and social media platforms. Well, that's the Instagram and social media. That's the drum coming from our African heritage. <laughs> we got the message out with the drums, but these are the drums of today. So our Instagram, uh, Dr. Period Herbert Harris. Our Instagram, we're on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 a.m. And what we try to do is set people up for the day. You know, like Monday we do motiv uh, Meditation Monday to help program and relax folks. And on Wednesday we do Wisdom Wednesday. And we have different interviews. People come in and share their insight. And Friday, Fantastic Friday. And ain't no telling what we do for Fantastic Friday. But it's to cap off the week. So all of our social media on uh, Facebook. Uh, Dr. Success Man, DR Success Man. On uh, YouTube, we have Herbert Harris, Millionaire Maker. And for all of us, social media is a tool for effective communication. It's not just a toy <clears throat> to watch stuff and see cute videos and cat videos and people doing crazy stuff. But it is the way to meet. We, you, we met you through that. And so... Social media gives us a way to cut through and touch the people who you really want to touch and have the people who need to hear and learn from you. So you got to learn it and use it and use it as intentionally as not an entertainment, but as a vehicle for communication to get your word out, to get your message out and to even meet new people and make new friends. All right. Now, well, that sums it up. Dr. Herbert Harris, thanks for coming on Black Men Sundays. One more time. Did you enjoy yourself on this show, brother? I had a ball. Like I tell you, I like speaking to folks who are dealing with real issues, who have some real insight, and who are prepared. 
You know what I'm saying? You've been you've been working at this a while, and so I appreciate that, man. And I'm honored to come anytime you need me. I uh, I have a number of programs. I'm one of those kind of guests that can talk about anything. And see, I'm long enough. I yeah, man. I was at the watch on Washington. I had a sandwich. We were sitting there with listening to Martin speak. Didn't have no sound system. Heard every word he said. <laughs> you know. So I've been around long enough to have that kind of experience in many areas. So I'm one of those get people that they call it when they have a seven o'clock interview and the person is not there at six fifty-five. They call me and they say, "Herb, man, we got a show. Can you join the show?" Of course, you know, what's it about? Don't worry, just get on. We need you. So I love doing it and I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. And uh, I'll definitely uh, keep that because I'll probably have to have you back on. Definitely Black History Month because I was doing a lot of research on you. It was so much to talk about. But obviously for this, I wanted to make sure we hit that generational wealth point hard. And I think we did. And thanks for coming on uh, Black Men Sundays, Dr. Herbert Harris. And enjoy the rest of your week, brother. Thank you, and you keep up the good work, my friend. It's a black man, son.